Welcome, everyone, to episode 56 of the Practicology podcast. And thanks for joining us as we mark a very special day on the calendar for Matthew and me. It is now one year since we launched the Practicology podcast. We launched it with three episodes on February 21st, 2021. And it has been a very enjoyable journey for us. And we trust a fruitful one for, for you listeners as well. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for listening through the past year. You are the reasons that we do this, and we appreciate you tuning in and the encouragement and feedback many of you have provided over the past 12 months. Yes, and speaking of feedback, if you do enjoy the podcast, please uh, consider giving us a review on your podcast app, just because that will help other people to find it as well. And many people are finding it. There are certainly many more people listening today than there were when we started, so thank you all for spreading the word. We've had a number of people leave reviews on the Apple Podcast app. One is from Cowface Man, and he says, The salt and light discussion addresses a real gap of wisdom in my life. Thank you. Five-star review. Thank you so much, Cowface Man. Maybe Cowface Girl could lend us a review as well. <laughs> yeah, and having completed a full year, Mike, I do think it's also right that we just spread the thanks a little further. Let me give another shout-out to our team members, Allison Flint in Manitoba and Daniel Barber in Newfoundland. And Mike, thank you for signing on for this. I love what you put out here on the podcast. I think it was likely August or September of 2020 when I first bounced this idea off you. And it's great that even though we are over 3,600 kilometers apart, we can work together. So thanks very much. Yeah, well, I'm so glad the Lord gave you the idea. I have to say I was quite reluctant at first, but um, the Lord has just given grace for, for me to be a part in it. So thank you. And uh, I just, Allison, just want to mention again, she's our social media uh, person and she does such a great job. If you aren't checking out our account on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, please do. Uh, she takes a lot of time to put thoughtful and beautiful posts together. And Dan Barber, big thanks to him. Many times we've had technical problems and he very quickly saves the day for us. So lots of thanksgiving on our part. And we're so grateful for this format too, Matthew, because uh, people are on their way to school or driving to the work or, or working on that stack of dirty dishes in the kitchen and listening to practical Bible teaching at the same time. They're redeeming the time, aren't they? I see what you did there. You're so slick, Mike. That's really why I thought you'd be the guy for this podcast ministry. But Mike is giving us a good segue into today's subject, which is redemption. Yeah, it's episode 56, but it's episode three in February's I Love to Read Month, where we're going through some themes in the book by Gooding and Lennox, the book called Key Bible Concepts. And we know that many of you are reading through this book with us. Remember, there's a schedule posted on the website. And in the past two weeks, we've talked about holiness and then justification. But I think that today's theme of redemption is to many Christians, one of their favorite aspects of gospel truth to meditate on. Yeah, even apart from the Christian theological use of the term, the world loves stories of redemption. Maybe it's the characters of Victor Hugo's Les Miserables trying to redeem their lives, or an athlete who has been written off, but they turn things around to reach the top of the podium again. It feels to them like sweet redemption. But the redemption story of the Christian gospel is unique and far outshines any other. I can honestly hardly hear the word without scenes of Albert Hall's gospel preaching coming to my mind because when he got going on the subject of redemption, he really got going. And you could tell he was worshiping his redeemer as he preached to us. He was filled with such joy and excitement when talking about how Christ had redeemed him by his death on the cross. And it should cause us to worship, beloved. Christ 
your Redeemer shed his blood to purchase your freedom from sin. And this message of redemption is obviously a key part of how we can summarize the divine drama that plays out across the Bible. You could say scripture story has five acts, creation, fall, promise, redemption purchased at the first coming of Christ, and redemption fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. Well, I'd love to hear Albert Hall preach again, Matthew, but I can't uh, ask him to repeat anything he used to preach, but I can ask you to repeat that. Can can you just say that again? Because I think that that five-act summary of the whole Bible is so helpful for us to tuck away in, in our minds. Sure. Creation, fall, promise, and redemption. But redemption plays out in two acts, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And we'll come back to that near the end of today's episode But the theme of redemption doesn't wait until the New Testament to grace the pages of Scripture. It's in the very first book of the Bible. The first occurrence of the word redeem is Genesis 48, and it teaches us two important things about the concept. Genesis 48 is when Jacob is near the end of his earthly pilgrimage, and he asks to see Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, that he may bless them. And in his blessing at verses 15 and 16 of that chapter, he gives a beautiful threefold description of God and his work in Jacob's life. Yeah, let me read those verses from Genesis 48. It says, and, and Jacob blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. So the three descriptions of God in that little passage, Matthew, are the God before whom my fathers walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, and the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Right, thank you. And that's actually also the first mention of God as a shepherd, but we're keying in on that last description, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Remember, Jacob wrestled with the angel in chapter 32, and he knew that angel to be a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord himself. Hosea 12 confirms that. So now in Genesis 48, Jacob says, God is the angel who redeemed him from evil. Now, there are two important lessons about redemption here in its first occurrence in Scripture. Number one, we don't redeem ourselves. Jacob says the angel redeemed him. Jacob had to flee from his brother, but he fell into the clutches of Laban. But the Lord set him free. When he was coming back to meet Esau, he was scared, understandably so. But the Lord rescued him. Likewise, we needed to be rescued. We don't redeem ourselves. Our redemption story is not about us atoning for our sins. It's not our hard work at self-improvement that pays off our debt of sin. The Lord Jesus redeems us. Secondly, Genesis 48 teaches us we need to be redeemed from something, from trouble. Jacob was redeemed from evil, he says, from the greedy, conniving ways of Laban, from the threat of Esau's retaliation, from famine, and even from his own self-dependence. To be redeemed is to be rescued from something. In our case, the evil from which we needed to be redeemed is the guilt and slavery of sin. We've all sinned, and that sin is like a debt that we cannot pay. We're enslaved by it. We need a redeemer. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear you mention the concept of slavery, Matthew. This is so helpful. Uh, I know it was helpful for me as a young person just to to understand the imagery of these words. So, so last week we looked at justification, which takes us into the courtroom scene where the guilty are declared righteous because of the death of Christ. But with the word redemption, we're we're talking about the slave market, aren't we? Where where slaves are purchased and set free from their slavery to sin and guilt. 
Right. Good stuff. So maybe we should think next of the preeminent Old Testament story of redemption, and that is the Exodus. After Pharaoh decreed that Israel would be made slaves in Egypt, afflicted with heavy burdens. What a picture of the taskmaster of sin. And God hears their groanings. And in chapter six of Exodus, he says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Awesome words. Go to Pharaoh, Moses, and say, let my people go. And I think another reason that this story becomes so instructive to us is that it introduces us to the price of redemption. That's not really portrayed in that first mention of redemption you gave us in Genesis 48 with Jacob, but it really is present in the Exodus story. After all those plagues that befall Egypt, Israel is finally redeemed through the blood of the Passover lamb. Yeah, all the firstborns of the Egyptians die, but the firstborns of Israel do not because a lamb has been sacrificed in their place and the blood of that lamb is on the door of their home. Mike, just let me ask you something here. What's the first animal sacrifice you can think of in scripture? First animal sacrifice? Well, there's the skins that covered Adam and Eve. Good. And and then there was Abel, right? Who offered a sacrifice? Yeah, what's another one? There's Genesis 15. Oh, there's Noah, right? There's Noah right after um, the, the flood. Yeah, okay. And there are other sacrifices in Genesis too. Here's the beautiful thing that I'm getting at right now, the beautiful thing that God does. He never mentions the blood of all of those animal sacrifices in Genesis. The blood isn't mentioned when God procures animal skins for Adam and Eve. The blood of Abel's sacrifice is not mentioned in scripture. Mm. The blood of the animals that Noah offered is not mentioned. The blood of the ram offered in Isaac's place is not mentioned. But now when he comes to this fantastic display of his power in redeeming Israel from slavery, he makes a really big deal of the blood in this sacrifice. It is as if God has saved the theme of the blood for his story of redemption in order to link redemption to the ultimate ransom price of the blood of the Lamb. And you know what the gospel message says in the New Testament, Ephesians 1, 7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, you were ransomed, redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Notice Peter says it wasn't by silver or gold. In other words, we cannot pay for our own redemption. We can't buy our own freedom. We were bankrupt sinners, but the sinless Christ could pay the price and he's done it with his own blood. Praise the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, I thought I could have leaped from earth to heaven at one spring when I first saw my sins drowned in the Redeemer's blood. Amen. I... I'm sure the Israelites were jumping for joy on the far shore of the Red Sea. And I feel like jumping around a bit too. I got to stay behind this microphone, but it's just wonderful to be redeemed. It is so humbling and heartwarming to know that Christ has paid our debt and purchased our freedom. But let me just ask you, Matthew, what did you think about Gideon and Lennox's answer in the book uh, to the question of who Jesus paid the ransom price to? I loved their answer, and I was thrilled to see that they included that there, that they addressed that. For those of you who haven't read it yet, the authors helpfully and clearly explain that 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 question of who Jesus paid the ransom price to is never really addressed in Scripture because it isn't an issue. The concept of a ransom price is a metaphor to express the cost of our redemption, but there was no literal money transaction. 
their analogy to justify that explanation, I think is worth repeating. They say, suppose a lifeboat is overcrowded and in danger of sinking because of too many people on board. So a man voluntarily jumps overboard into the ice cold sea, knowing it will mean his death, but he does that to lessen the weight of the boat so that others are free to live. We might say that man has paid a very heavy price to save the lives of the remaining passengers. But it doesn't make sense to ask to whom did he pay the price? No, that's not the issue. He didn't pay a price to anyone else. It's a metaphor to express the cost one person incurred for others to be free. Well, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, otherwise, we, we get some really wonky ideas about Christ paying a, a payment to the devil or something like that, right? So, indeed. Yeah, that's pressing the imagery too far. But I, I like where, where you're bringing us to now, Matthew, as well, because now we've learned three key principles about our redemption. Number one, we needed to be redeemed from trouble, in our case, from, from the chains of sin. And then secondly, we can't redeem ourselves. The Lord has to be our redeemer. And then thirdly, a price had to be paid to set us free. And that ransom price was nothing less than the blood of Christ. Great summary. Now let's put some emphasis on something you just said, Mike, for a fourth and practical lesson. Redemption makes us free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Gooding and Lennox also wisely point out that we don't use the word redeem or ransom to describe the activity of someone who pays money to enslave another person. They are buying someone, but scripture condemns that evil behavior of human trafficking, 1 Timothy 1.10. To redeem someone is to set them free. Galatians 5 comes to mind. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers. And it is only in Christ, once redeemed, that we are free to serve God and consequentially to serve the body of Christ in love. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a paradox that as Christians, we are bond servants to God. We are slaves of Christ. But this is actually a slavery of freedom. It is paradoxical. I think that I think that just shows the beauty and uniqueness of the Christian gospel. Yeah, I think of the Lord's words in Luke 9, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That is a paradox, but it's true. I love how Screwtape expresses this to Wormwood in C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters. He says, when God talks of their losing their selves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, they are wholly his, and they will be more themselves than ever. And therein lies the beauty of redemption. No, you're not your own because you've been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, but you will find your greatest joy and fulfillment and freedom, brothers and sisters, in treasuring the truth that you belong to Christ, because that's what you were created for in the first place. Sin robbed you of that freedom. Christ has bought you back. You're not a prisoner to your past. You're not under the condemnation of guilt. You are not destined to repeat all your past failures. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You're free. You're free to be humble because your acceptance doesn't depend on your showing off and impressing others or trying to get to the head of the line. No, you're free from that need because you've been redeemed and you are free to enjoy the fatherly love of God for you, his redeemed child. I love the words of Lauren Daigle's song in connection to this, actually. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. 
every single lie that tells me I will never measure up? Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. And I believe what you say of me. And I hope you do believe it, brothers and sisters. The blood of Christ has set us free. You are free to love the Christ who redeemed you and to devote your life to him with the confidence that he will reward you and will take care of you. Matthew, you're bringing us some wonderful, wonderful truth. And I want to go back to something you said there. You said, I'm not a prisoner to my past. I'm not destined to repeat my past failures because I've been redeemed and set free. And that sounds great, and I'm thankful for it, but you, you know what my problem is. I don't always feel set free. Sometimes I do repeat my past failures. <laughs> like like the Israelites, I repeat them often, and I, I do still struggle with sin. So, so you're telling us we've been redeemed, but then why don't we always feel fully redeemed? Because we haven't been fully redeemed. <laughs> and when I say that, I don't mean that our redemption is not secure, but that it is not complete. Remember back at the beginning, I talked about the divine drama of human history taking place in five acts, creation, fall, promise, redemption purchased at the first coming of Christ, and redemption fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. We are one united person of spirit, soul, and body, and as long as our bodies are in their current sin-corrupted lowly state, we will struggle against sin. We've been redeemed from the guilt of our sin but we have not yet been set free from the presence of sin because we have sin-cursed bodies. But when Christ returns, our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his sinless, glorious body, Philippians 3, or in the language of Romans 8, we wait for the redemption of our bodies. That's when redemption will be completed. And brothers and sisters, I am so looking forward to that day because that will mean no more death, no more pain, no more discouragement, no more sickness, no more sin. Mm. And the great thing is that redemption that we hope for is as certain as the redemption that we've already experienced. Ephesians 1.14 teaches us that upon trusting Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit within us is the guarantee that there is more of our redemption to come. In the meantime, beloved, I know there are heartaches and pains and sorrows and struggles. So let me leave with you the precious words that the Lord speaks to Israel in Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Wow, thank you, Matthew. This has been such a special episode for our uh, Practicology one-year anniversary, uh, and it just comes to my mind that when we release those first three episodes, uh, I think we had one on redemption, um, the perfect posture correcting device or something like that, and many times... In, in this past year, we have drawn on this wonderful truth and uh, for good reason, because you've shown us how meaningful, how comforting, how freeing our redemption is today. 
And thank you for pointing us not just to our past redemption, but to the future when our redemption will be complete. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening today and this year. And we hope you join us again as we work through the practical theology of some of these central themes of the gospel. It's so good to get these central truths deep down into your being. Uh, So next week, we're going to look at repentance and faith, which are chapters 9 to 12 in the Key Bible Concepts book. And I'm really looking forward to that. And so am I. And thank you again, everyone, for listening. May the Lord encourage you today.